You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Welcome back to the Spectral Skull Session. I am your host, Dane. In 2021, NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden gave a presentation where he warned that the worst conspiracies take place in plain sight. Let's roll that clip. The greatest conspiracies are open and notorious. Uh, they're, they're not theories, but practices. Practices expressed through law and policy uh, and systems of government, uh, technology, finance, right? Conspirators, more often than not, they announce their intentions. They're reported all over the place. They're in our newspapers. They're bannered on the covers of magazines. Um, we get updates on the, their, their progress. And Edward Snowden is well-versed in the existence of conspiracies in plain sight. For his own service in exposing criminal wrongdoing within the U.S. intelligence community, Snowden was forced into a life of exile. Well, today I want to talk to you about conspiracy theories. This is not a topic we've been covering on the show, but we shall cover it today because I've been noticing that since 2018, tech companies, media outlets, and the U.S. government have been working together more and more closely as they attempt to regulate what people say and do in some of the most disturbing cases. The U.S. financial system is also brought into play, and I have seen instances where people with unpopular views or projects have actually lost their bank accounts and access to public credit. I call this emerging system of social control the Integrated Control Network. And the point of this episode is to talk about the Integrated Control Network. Let's talk through this by talking about a popular controversy that's still taking place right now, the aggression against Joe Rogan for bringing critics of the U.S. public health policies onto his popular podcast. This is one small example of the ICN at work, but it will help you see why I believe there is an integrated control network that is degrading the openness of American society and threatening the very survival of our nation. Now, who is Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan is an actor, comedian, and elk hunter. He has a popular podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience, which regularly discusses a wide range of topics, comedy, mixed martial arts, self-improvement, American culture, and politics. His viewership demographic trends towards younger men with an average listener age of 24, according to a website called Media Monitors. His listenership is also fairly affluent, with over 50% reporting they make over 50K a year, 19% making over 100K. That seems pretty good if your average listener is only 24. Some people may be lying on that poll. Why would people turn out to be out to get Joe Rogan? Well, 
Rogan regularly enjoys 11 million podcast listeners per show, whereas the next popular news show is uh, Tucker Carlson Tonight. They're on Fox News. Tucker Carlson has 3.2 million viewers a night. And then uh, the next few shows that are popular are all Fox News shows. And then there's Rachel Maddow. I believe she's on MSNBC, and she has 2.2 million per night. So Joe Rogan is more listened to than Carlson and Maddow combined. These stats come from Nielsen and Spotify as of January 2022. So Joe Rogan has an incredibly wide reach, as well as a lucrative audience, making him a target worth taking down. What did Joe Rogan do? He brought on two medical researchers in December 2021 for a total of 352 minutes. That's around six hours of on-air time. These gentlemen who appeared on the show were both well-credentialed scientists. I will only very briefly say something about them. Peter McCullough came on in December and talked about how he developed a research protocol for early treatment of coronavirus. He says he published an article in the American Journal of Medicine in August 2020 that outlined how to treat coronavirus using various medicines. He said the FDA then worked to suppress um, early treatment. And he said, quote, We've had a giant loss of life. It seems to me early on there was an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. It seemed to be completely organized and intentional in order to create acceptance for and promote mass vaccination. Joe Rogan also had Robert Malone come on his show. Dr. Robert Malone is a physician with a background in molecular biology. He was at the forefront of mRNA vaccine development in the late 1980s and develops 10 patents related to mRNA vaccines. Dr. Malone came on and talked about various things, including um, various theoretical reasons why we should be cautious about the use of mRNA vaccines. He wasn't anti-vaccine, but thought people needed to be more aware of the potential side effects. He also talked about a number of alleged shenanigans with the vaccine approval process. I won't get into the details of what these doctors discussed. I am specifically not repeating any of their particular claims about what you should or shouldn't do. And the reason for that is that I do think that uh, you, there's irresponsible reporting, and that's a fair criticism sometimes. And I am not qualified to give medical advice. Nothing that I say here should be taken as medical advice. I am only making this episode because I believe that freedom of speech and the open society are very important, not only for the continued survival of this show, but for the survival of the United States of America and really the world at large. But I listened to six hours of interviewing. What I took away from the interviews were that these two men were making credible-sounding accusations of dysfunction and corruption in the way public health decisions have been handled during the coronavirus pandemic. Given that they're both researchers who have been involved in the fight against coronavirus, they seem like the kinds of people who are qualified to make these sorts of criticisms, whether or not their criticisms are valid. I can't see why these two individuals ought not to be allowed to make these accusations. And I did a thorough search looking for people who had done research disputing the credentials of these interviewees. I could not find anyone saying that, no, they're not researchers or they're not scientists. They haven't done any work on coronavirus. The only thing I could find was that there was some dispute over whether Robert Malone 
had mischaracterized himself as the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. Uh, In fact, he is among the inventors of the mRNA vaccine. But when I looked at his current CV, his current CV described himself as among the inventors of the mRNA vaccine. And of course, if you're a research scientist who is among the inventors of the mRNA vaccine, it would certainly seem to me that you are qualified to comment on theoretical reasons why we might want to be cautious about mRNA vaccination. What have people done in response to Joe Rogan having these individuals on his show? Subsequent to their appearance, there has been a mounting media blitz to have Joe Rogan removed from his host company, Spotify, with which he has an exclusive contract. There were a lot of fact-checking type articles in the New York Times and Washington Post and uh, various other lower-tier periodicals and online magazines. What I noticed about everything I read, I read about a half dozen of these articles, zero coverage of the central thrust of the six hours of interviews. The central thrust across those two interviews was allegations of corruption and dysfunction in the U.S. public health policy-making processes. Those were their central claims. Now, the things that you would get fact-checked were often irrelevant or inane. For example, I read one fact-check from the New York Times that dwelt on how Robert Malone and Joe Rogan had discussed whether President Joe Biden had really been vaccinated in a film clip which he appears to be vaccinated by a doctor holding a syringe. Joe Rogan raised the question of whether it might have been staged, saying that the doctor should have aspirated the syringe but did not. Um, And uh, the New York Times fact checks this little very brief, like maybe minute or two minute side discussion and says, oh, it was false. This is an example of misinformation. But when I listened to the actual original interview between Robert Malone and Joe Rogan, I noticed that although Joe Rogan brought up the idea that perhaps President Biden had not really been vaccinated on film, Robert Malone did not push the idea. In fact, he pushed back. He said it was a rabbit hole. He did not want to go down it. In any event, it was a minor and largely irrelevant aspect of the interview. But the New York Times felt like this needed to be singled out even as that entire article said nothing about the central gist of the interview, allegations of corruption and dysfunction in the U.S. public health policy-making processes. Fact-checking seems to be an element of the ICN. When they don't like what you're saying, they fact-check you. But the fact-checking is a game of gotcha. They listen to three hours of interviewing, pick out some random remarks that don't matter, and say, fact-check, It's a bunch of lies, but then they are lying by omission because they make no attempt to charitably reconstruct the central point of the interview. Um, Another aspect of the ICN is the inanity of the media blitz. Let me talk to you about how after this interview took place, these interviews, there was an initially batshit crazy wave of articles that came out. So starting January 5th, NBC News ran an article literally titled, YouTuber Ethan Klein criticizes Joe Rogan for spreading COVID misinformation. And then the subheadline, after Klein, who is Jewish, criticized Rogan for pushing vaccine hesitancy, Rogan's fans flooded Twitter with fat, phobic, and anti-Semitic remarks. On January 12th, the Rolling Stone published an article titled, A Menace to Public Health, colon, 
Doctors demand Spotify put an end to the COVID lies on Joe Rogan experience. But the article ended up saying they only had about 270 scientists who had signed this demand letter. Things were a little clearer in a foreign periodical, The Independent, which on January 13th had an article stated, Joe Rogan, colon, 270 scientists write demand letter asking Spotify to address misinformation after anti-vax podcast episode. The significance of this, this is these are just three examples of what was a January escalating media blitz on Joe Rogan, a blitz that initially consisted of some of the most ridiculous content imaginable. No one should care what YouTuber Ethan Klein thinks of Joe Rogan. No one has ever heard of Ethan Klein. I don't know who he is. No one should care that Joe Rogan followers made fat phobic remarks to Ethan Klein. This is not news. Furthermore, no one should care that 270 scientists wanted Joe Rogan removed from Spotify. America has tens of thousands of scientists. You can get 270 of any group of people to agree to anything. Of course, that story was updated as more and more people signed the petition which only adds to the inanity that they would publish yet another article saying, well, now 3,000 people have signed the letter demanding that Joe Rogan be removed from Spotify. So this is another thing I've witnessed as part of the ICN when this network comes after someone. It often initially generates a lot of really wacky, semi-coherent bad press. It's almost as if they're using an AI to generate just random articles, like some kind of robot is just churning out stuff like blah, 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 fatphobic, blah, 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 anti-Semitic, blah, 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 273 doctors, hydrogen powered, have now accused him. It's just a bunch of nonsense. Um, it feels like a robot might be churning it all out. I don't think a robot is, but um, it feels that way. Probably because what's happening is it's just an attempt to throw a lot of bad energy out there and make people associate your target with deviancy. Here's the next stage of the ICN uh, deplatforming campaign against Joe Rogan. Artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell began saying that they would have their music removed unless Joe Rogan was removed. Joe Rogan responded to this with incredible aplomb. He released a nine-minute video talking about the claims that his podcast has been promoting disinformation. Let's roll a segment from that. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now, that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. But as Joe Rogan substantively points out, they can't tell misinformation from a hole in the ground. This Joe Rogan apology podcast, nine minutes long, it was incredible. First of all, Joe Rogan says, even so, even though I am not in misinformation, I still think I could do better. 
and he outlines a plan for how he is going to do better. He says, I'm going to have people who defend the orthodox position come on my show shortly after having a critic on my show. Lastly, Rogan ended his apology by saying that he doesn't have any hate for Neil Young, and he even tells a funny story about why he likes Neil Young, why his positive feelings about Neil Young. It was really a positive, uplifting, if you call it apology, then fine. It was positive and uplifting, and it warmed my heart. And so nothing soured my heart more than to see no one in the mainstream media responded Instead of just, just saying like, oh, Joe Rogan pointed out that they don't even know what misinformation is. Joe Rogan pointed out that Twitter has been getting it wrong. Or even saying like Rogan had a plan for improving the show. They just said nothing about it. They said nothing. Instead, they pivoted. They pivoted to a Twitter account linked to a political super PAC, released a compilation clip of Joe Rogan mentioning the N-word on his podcast. For those who don't know, here is a PSA. You can no longer mention the N-word unless you are black. Now, it used to be the case that while white people could not use the N-word, we, that is, we could not say things like, dude, you are my N-word, what we could do was say things like, hey, children, you can't say N-word. Uh, sometime, and I don't know when this happened, I think it was the last 10 or 15 years, we shifted to being a society where white people can neither use nor mention the N-word. Now, Rogan has had his podcast since the early 2000s. So he started doing his show, I'm fairly confident, before this particular social norm in wherein white people can neither use nor mention the N-word was in effect. Now, norms do change over time. Men used to be able to slap their female secretaries on the tush at the office. This is now assault. Uh, there is a new kind of psychologic, according to which we can reproduce video footage of people in the past acting ways that were acceptable in the past, and then judge that person according to the norms of today. And if they're still alive, that means real ramifications for that person. And I call this psychologic because I hope you will actually start to think of it as a reasoning process that is deranged and destructive. But I believe the ICN wants to normalize it because it gives them a tool of unlimited social control. Notice also, I do not believe, and I don't believe anyone would think, it's newsworthy that this video surfaced. So it's not just that there was a guerrilla marketing campaign to uh, make this video go around on Twitter. Also, the mainstream media had to be complicit. They had to report on this this thing which is clearly not news because this video has existed before and has already gone around once. They run these articles and their headline is um, Old Video Resurfaces. That is a weasel word that gives you cover for we just felt like making this the thing you're going to pay attention to right now. You might think that's the end of the story, the end of the Joe Rogan saga, but there's a bulletin now from the Department of Homeland Security came out on February 7th. I kid you not, it is titled Summary of Terrorism Threat to the U.S. Homeland. I'm just going to read a quote from this. The United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms of mis- 
dis and mal information MDM introduced and or amplified by foreign and domestic threat actors. These threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord and undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. End quote. Now, I don't think that the U.S. government is specifically responding to Joe Rogan here. I figure this bulletin has more to do with the standoff between Russia and Ukraine. But look, the very weaponization of the misinformation label is part of this new system of control. Misinformation is, by definition, information that is unintentionally false, but nevertheless harmful. And they're saying now, misinformation constitutes a threat to our national security. Well, we didn't used to talk about misinformation. We used to say, that's not true, and here is why. It was called, people sometimes get things wrong. This whole label of misinformation is an Orwellian newspeak invention that is gradually being developed, weaponized, to justify removing people who dissent or challenge powerful authorities from mainstream society. In this episode, I've introduced the idea of the ICN, the Integrated Control Network. I've identified five ways in which it operates. One, social media censorship of dissenting ideas and voices. Two, media blitzes that involve high, medium, and low-tier publications, creating a negative buzz around a controversial person. This is often a prelude to three, boycotts and deplatforming attempts, the mobilization of consumer power, Four, guerrilla media campaigns. Five, government pressure. We see the U.S. government also turning to the label of misinformation to reframe what is really just regular old disagreement into a threat to the safety of the homeland. But I believe that this effort to control information, to eliminate people that we consider unacceptable, is the real source of widespread distrust in authorities. And I think the solution for it is actually openness. Our government simply needs to tell the truth, be honest about things. When they make a mistake, they just need to own up to it. Many people have lost faith in medical authorities as a result of this COVID pandemic, which may now be drawing to a close, but it would be a great time for medical authorities to come out and say, you know, we did make some mistakes. It was an emergency situation and we didn't always make the best decisions. An example might be when they told us that masks didn't work because they didn't want us to go get masks. They wanted to keep the masks for the, the medical professionals. We can all remember that. It's not misinformation. I don't need a conspiracy theorist to remind me that I was lied to by medical authorities during a pandemic. I would just like to see those authorities come clean and say we were using the wrong ways of thinking to make our decisions. We recognize now that that causes people not to trust us. We're not going to do it anymore. We're going to start being truthful instead of paternalistic. And I think they would be surprised to find that we're all really rather forgiving people. Openness to criticism, honesty, transparency, and forgiveness. I believe those are the real solution to the problems we face as a society. For the Spectral Skull Session, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane. Stay sane.